The Milkron, Chapter 4, Aftermath and Options While waiting to give his after-action report, such as it was, to Lieutenant Johnson, John tried to bring his boat in a little closer to the beach, being mindful of the tide. Thankfully, it was pretty close to low tide now by late afternoon, and he wasn't too worried yet about running aground. John had his crew bring up the ramp about halfway, and he inched the boat in as close as he dared before dropping the ramp again. At least now, he would only get wet up to his thighs, as he knew he would have to wade ashore at some point soon. As everyone stood around waiting, John decided to write down some notes to make sure he didn't forget anything. As soon as he reached into the drawer for a clipboard and paper, the radio squawked and John knew it was time for the reports. John picked up the headset and responded. Sure enough, Divo was requiring all boat captains to report to the beach for the after-action reports and briefings. John acknowledged and grabbed the clipboard. Trying to, trying to write and walk at the same time, he got to the edge of the bow ramp and shuddered as he had to get in soaked in salt water with his uniform on. Oh well, nothing to be done about it. John jumped in, waded ashore, walked up to stand around with his equally wet boat captains. The officers walked over and everyone came to attention. Lieutenant Johnson ordered at ease and asked each captain for his report of what happened on their boat. When it came around to John, he detailed his bad feelings and why he had asked the Army SF Group sergeant to gear up. He tried to justify his actions in not following orders to stand off the beach by emphasizing the emergency situation on the beach when a terrorist opened fire. Lieutenant Johnson commended John for his actions again and said he likely stopped more casually with quick thinking. Then the Divo discussed the current situation they found themselves in. First, it turned out that these fake American soldiers were wannabe Al-Qaeda operatives, but mainly just organized thieves. They had ambushed a convoy on its way here to try and steal everything from the boats and sell it on the black market. Their spies in Bahrain told them of a fleet of supply boats they had left recently headed north and would also learn of the convoy coming here the same way. They heard from their spy that the boats only had a small crew with no weapons, so they thought it would be easy. Bad luck for these thieves, but now what to do with them, John thought. He knew they wouldn't just shoot them and leave their bodies to be found. They certainly couldn't turn them loose to tell everyone in the Middle East what they were doing. The only obvious answer would be to take them with them, all tied up, of course, POWs at best. John also wondered what happened to the actual army unit that was supposed to be here. Hopefully they were all right, but John had a bad feeling about them. As John was pondering that question, Lieutenant Johnson told everyone that they were waiting for orders from command to tell them what to do next. Everyone was just to stand by until they knew more. He dismissed everyone, and John decided to hang out on the beach a little while longer, so he waved at Steve and told him he'd be back soon. Steve gave him a thumbs up and waved off. As the other captains milled around and went back to their boats, John decided to walk over to see how Chief Armstrong was doing. Chief was sitting on a small rock, all patched up and in an arm sling, when John walked up. He asked Chief how he was doing. Chief Armstrong smiled and said the painkillers were making him loopy, but he'd be fine. He had taken around in the arm, but nothing too serious. He asked how everyone was doing, and John explained they were just hanging out until Brass decided what to do next. Chief had heard that also, and quoted the old saying about hurry up and wait, as always. As they were chit-chatting, the devil walked up and chatted a little bit as well, then asked John to gather everyone up. Major Steuben had just heard from command. John left Chief Armstrong sitting on the rock, walked down the beach, hollering for everyone to form up. Once everyone reported, Major Steuben passed on that due to the importance of the mission, and the fact that these attackers were just some local opportunists and did not know what they were actually doing here before they attacked, the decision was to secure them under guard on one of the Mike 8 boats 
drop them off at the next rendezvous point up the coast. The Army unit would be reinforced with MPs to pick them up. As for fuel and supplies, Major asked Lieutenant Johnson if anything in the trucks was of any value for the trip. And the lieutenant replied, not really, just empty boxes mostly, which is what got them spotted in the first place. Lieutenant Johnson told Chief to organize a refueling party to siphon whatever diesel was in the trucks to the boats. Hopefully there would be enough to make it to the next waypoint. The lieutenant then asked if there was any questions. If not, they were dismissed to carry out their orders. No one had any questions, so the boat captains all headed back to the boats to get started with the refueling. John headed back to, to his boat to let his crew know what was going on. After John briefed his crew, Steve went below to find the hand pump that the boats carried for such situations as this, manual refueling. All the boat crews knew what to do at this point. Now it was a matter of seeing how much fuel was available in the trucks and divided up fairly amongst the six boats. The six boat engineers gathered around the hand pumps and reported to the trucks. One of them started checking tanks with a makeshift dipstick to measure the fuel. Once they had an approximate total from all three trucks, they calculated how much each, each boat would get. They had to figure out the approximate distance that this fuel would get them toward the next resupply. This was something they all had training on, so it didn't take long to figure out how many hours of runtime they had before they ran out. They now calculate with the boat captains and officers on how far they could get on said fuel. As no one knew where the next resupply was going to be yet, all they could do was calculate how far they could get and deliver the report. Let the officers figure it out if they could make it or not. The crews delivered their estimates to the chief and let him pass it on to the officers. While they were waiting for anything to come back, everyone started rigging jerry cans and hand pumps to the trucks so they could get the fuel to the boats. It would be a long, laborious task, but it had to be done. John figured that whatever timetable they had on arrival here was now out the window and would have to be completely revised for after the refueling was completed. It was going to be a long night. They worked nearly all night to transfer the fuel to all six boats. Everyone was dead tired by the time they finished, about 0200. Chief went around and praised her for their hard work, including the soldiers helping run jerry cans of fuel to the boats. Chief Armstrong told everyone to put everything away and get some sleep as best they could because he was pretty sure they were going to be on the move come daybreak. All the boat captains and crews went back to their boats to get some much-needed sleep. John gathered up his crew and soldiers and did the same. John knew the chief was right. Come morning, the officers like to have a plan and want to get underway as soon as possible after sunrise. John woke up at the crack of dawn. As he started to shake loose out of his cot, the others started to rise also. John advised everyone to take care of themselves as quickly to be ready for just about anything. As everyone started to wake up and get ready for the day, John grabbed a bite out of an MRE package and headed back over to the beach. He was getting tired of having wet boots, but there was nothing he could do about that right now. As he handed over to where the chief was sitting on the beach, the officers also showed up. Lieutenant Johnson remarked, Good thing you're here, Petty Officer Anderson. Would you round up the other boat captains for a morning brief? John replied, Yes, sir, and went out to get the captains. After everyone mustered on the beach around the lieutenant, he laid out the day's plan. As John pretty much figured, everyone to get underway as soon as possible to continue the mission. The two POWs were to be loaded into the command LCM for transport. The dead bodies would be loaded into the other LCM-8. Hopefully the smell wouldn't get too bad before they were handed off. As far as operational security went, since nothing looked to be compromised, the same conditions were still in place. HQ would figure out what happened to the convoy soldiers that lost their vehicles to this gang of thieves. The plan was the same as before. Every captain would be given a course heading to maintain, and the actual location would be given while out to sea by semaphore flags once they got within range. One of the other captains raised a question about the amount of fuel running hours and fuel versus resupply location. 
Would they have enough to get to the next rendezvous? Lieutenant Johnson looked at the Major and raised his eyebrows to pass the question on to him. Major Steuben stepped up and told everyone that due to the unexpected change in timetable and unfortunate loss of personnel and supplies, the next resupply location would be dictated by how far they could make it on what fuel they had now. It would be up to each captain to keep a close eye on each boat's fuel supply and let them know when they got started to reach critical levels. The next resupply was going to be handled by the Air Force this time with airdrops and another Army supply unit with heavily guarded fuel bladders. It would be up to the officers to plot the course and let them know where they were needed to receive the supplies. The squadron might have to wait a bit for everything to arrive, but it would be a lot better than the last plan. Lieutenant Johnson dismissed everyone back to their boats to make ready to get underway. As John headed back through the surf once again, he felt a little bit better about this plan, but still had his misgivings about the overall mission. There was just so much that could go wrong still. John gathered everyone around and told them the new plan. He also advised everyone if they had a change of clothes, this would be a good time to get cleaned up a little bit, as this trip may be lit, long, and stressful. John dismissed everyone to take care of any personal business and grabbed his gear bag to wash himself and change clothes. His boots would have to try and dry out in the day sun while they were running up the coast. Good thing he brought some flip-flops. Freshwater being a limited commodity right now, washing clothes was not going to happen anytime soon. As John was getting the boat ready to back off the beach and form up, the radio chirped and John acknowledged. He was told that the squadron will be running further out into the Gulf from now on to avoid being sighting from land. John replied, copy, and signed off. That just made things more difficult as now he would have to rely on line of sight with the boats, his compass, and charts. The only other worry would be sighted by commercial shipping traffic. They were as bad as the spies on shore. But what did he know? He was just a boat captain, petty officer first class. Best to damp down the paranoia and do his job. John resolved to maintain a good look out in transit and do his best to bring his crew home in one piece. Once Steve and the sergeant gave John the ready signal, John backed the boat off the beach and turned her around to head out to sea to form up off the beach. John arrived with the other boats and idled the engines until the command boat headed out and they all maneuvered into the traveling formation once again. Once the course was set and John, and John could relax a bit, he told Steve to keep a close eye on the fuel levels. Steve was to provide an hourly report. John also asked the master sergeant if he wouldn't mind setting up a lookout rotation with his squad in case of any further trouble. Sergeant Thomas said no problem. He would let John know if they spotted anything on the horizon. As they passed on with nothing out of the ordinary other than an occasional dolphin pod wanting to play with one of the boats, everyone tried to dry out their gear, especially boots, and try to nap as much as possible. No one knew what lay ahead, so it was good to have a little downtime for the moment. John and Steve switched out in the wheelhouse to keep the boat on course, allow them some relaxed time as well. After the noon meal, one of the lookouts pointed to a small fishing boat on the horizon that appeared to be headed in their direction. John thought, here we go again, as he raised the alert and radioed in to see if anybody had seen it. It had been noticed, and John was advised to keep an eye on it in case it got too close for comfort, and they had to take invasive actions to remain unidentified. John told everyone to stow away any personal items hanging off the sides and make the boat as obscure as possible in the desert haze. As John looked out at his squadron, he noticed everyone else had the same idea. With the boats maintaining as low profile as possible, a small boat veered off after a bit and everyone started to breathe again. John told everyone not to let their guard down as that small fishing boat likely radioed in a sighting to someone not necessarily their friends. John said that they could go ahead and continue to dry their gear, but hang it up out of sight. John remained tense as he fully expected a radio call to change course. Surprise, none came. John thought, that doesn't bode well. John maintained his current course heading, wondering why not. Then, after the small boat disappeared over the horizon, 
the course change came through. Everyone was to change course to heading 275 and move closer to shore. Follow the leader, John thought. Maybe someone finally decided that barren deserts were somewhat better for obscurity than the open ocean and unknown commercial traffic. As y'all changed to the new heading, Steve came up and reported they were down to 25% fuel level, as if they didn't have enough to worry about. Now John had to worry about low fuel. John decided to make a radio call to report his fuel levels. Maybe he could word it in such a manner as to not actually broadcast the to everyone that could possibly listen in. He figured that they were still far enough away from shore to not have to worry about any locals listening in, but any other ships in the area may have more sophisticated radios and constantly monitoring over the horizon. John called it in using American slang and phonetic spelling, hoping to provide a little opsec on his situation. As he did, he was advised that all the boats were in similar straits and they would be signaling this in via SATCOM as soon as the satellite was in range. That was all. John told Steve to keep a real close eye on that fuel as he didn't know when they'd be refueling. Likely later today, hopefully. As the squadron moved closer to shore, land could be seen now, and John felt a little better. He was worried that without a sextant, they could get off course to the sea currents and wind. Compasses were great, but didn't account for wind and current speeds. Command boat 74 had a new course heading, a more northerly course within sight of land. John advised his crew and soldiers of the new change and advised them to keep a lookout more focused on land now. Still be on the lookout to starboard for any boats, though. John didn't want any surprise visits by any unknown boats. Now it was more of the same dull routine. Keep the boat on course, wait for the satellite. Hopefully their fuel would hold out long enough to arrange for their resupply. Maybe they would bring a water buffalo and everyone could get a shower and rinse out some clothes? One could only hope. Salty clothes leave nasty, painful rashes when they get stiff. And they were already there. As if things couldn't get much worse. Now John had to worry about rashes of wet feet that didn't look to be getting any relief soon. Nothing worse than medical issues other than combat wounds, John sighed. Just another day in the neighborhood.